It is good to be back uh, with you uh, again this morning. I think that I now have my microphone figured out. Uh, I hope you can hear me better. Uh, user error on my part, and uh, thank God for technology that works when people like me know how to work it. Um, we are uh, in the midst of a series as uh, we are facing some uncertain times around the world and in the midst of our country and even in your community today. Uh, it's a time where we need hope. The, the series is titled Let Hope Rise. And hope is, uh, we, we seek for it, it seems, most often when uh, the gloom is gathering. And that's really today's focus is the gathering gloom that we all sense in the world today. And I want to share with you a story some years ago, a personal story, when I was really down. And I, this was more than just the blues. My heart and soul felt crushed. I was filled with tears and sadness. I was confused. I was really scared about the future. And I happened to be driving my car one day. And of course, the, the skies were gray. And uh, then the rains came. You, you know it would happen. Thunder and lightning uh, added to, uh, just to uh, add emphasis to the special moment there. And through my tears, as I drove my car and my, my soul was overwhelmed, I, I tried speaking to God as I wept. And I wept. I wept. And I tried to give voice to, to try to find some sense of hope. And so I tried to sing to God. And I began to recite Bible verses that had been planted deep in my heart over the years. And uh, verses that reminded me of the character of God. And because of God's great character and his faithfulness through the years, I was able to tap into a deep-seated understanding about the hope that I have in God. And then... Then, as out of nowhere, uh, you, can you guess what appeared in the sky? It was as big as Dallas. Uh, the clouds seemed to part, and there in the middle of the sky was a huge rainbow. And I, it's not a, not a joke. This is a true story. And, and my tears turned to laughter as it was as if, I know I wasn't the only one seeing the rainbow, but in that moment... It's as if God gave me that gift of a rainbow to remind me that no matter how dark the skies are uh, around me, no matter how gloomy my soul and inner world may feel, that God and because of God and his presence in my life and his presence in this world, I always have hope. I always have hope. Those tears reminded me of the presence of God. And that uh, sense of sadness, that mourning turned into joy for me. You see, even when the clouds around us, where I am right now, there the skies are filled with clouds. And maybe where you are this morning, uh, you would look out at the sky and there is no sun to be seen. But we know, don't we, that the sun is behind the clouds. Even if we can't see it with our eyes, the sun is there. Even on the gloomiest of days, you see, hope shines because God is present even if at a particular moment you don't notice him or you can't seem to locate him, hope is still there behind the gray and God is with you. Open your Bibles, would you, if you have them there, to Mark chapter 10. Some of the verses that I'm going to be sharing will be placed on your screen, not all of them. So I just want to encourage you, if you have a Bible close to you, go ahead and get it and open it to Mark chapter 10. We are uh, moving into a passage where Jesus has been now for some time 
with his closest followers, with his disciples. They have been learning together. They've been ministering together. Jesus has been teaching them about who he is and about his purpose in coming into the world. And uh, he gives them at this point a really gloomy forecast. Uh, And it's really news that no one wants to hear. It's not unlike the news Uh, that we are hearing today. In fact, if you're like me, you turn your news feed on your phone or whatever your news source is, and and we do that 8 or 10 or 12 times a day, it seems, and and it just seems like things get gloomier and gloomier. We hear more about the virus around the world and uh, increasing hot spots around our country like New York City. Uh, we hear about the economic impact it's having, uh, having not just in our country but around the world. We uh, heard over 3 million people filed for unemployment. And, and then those who are grieving because of the death of loved ones uh, in this time. Jesus, in this passage, as we dive into Mark chapter 10, he also will talk about death. Uh, Death is something that uh, he uh, knew about, and death is really the reason that he came, not because he loved death, but because his death was a substitute for your own, and that was the purpose for his coming. He says in chapter 10 of Mark, verse 32, here's what Jesus says. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. You see, in Mark's gospel here, in this part of it, this is now the third time that Jesus has talked about his purpose for coming into the world. Of course, Jesus came to live a perfect life. Uh, Of course, he did that. He came to be a model for living and, and relating to other people, no doubt. He came to teach us about the purpose of God, the will of God, and what God was like. He came into the world to really put a face upon what God is like and and who God is for us. But he came, his purpose ultimately was was to come to die, not a martyr's death, uh, not to die for a cause, but Jesus came to lay his life down, having lived the only perfect life in history. He came to lay his life down as a substitute to pay for the penalty of my sin and your sin. That was his reason for coming. And in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, this is now the third time that Jesus has mentioned this purpose, his coming to die for his followers. And this was gloomy news. It was news that they did not want to hear. In fact, if we were to roll back the chapters of Mark, we would see the first time Jesus describes his purpose, his purpose for death, uh, that Peter comes and steps forward and rebukes Jesus and says, Jesus, no way, I can't handle this news. And uh, prompting Jesus to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the concerns of God, rather you have merely human concerns in mind. The second time Jesus comes and tell, talks about his death, the disciples still didn't get it. In fact, they argued about the pecking order in, in the rank of the, the disciples. Who was going to be the one of most honor and have the, the privilege and priority among themselves? And isn't it interesting that it's such a natural human impulse for us. When things begin to change around us, we, we automatically turn to thinking about who's going to stand and who's going to rise during this time. 
The third time that Jesus alerts them to his purpose and his death, they finally get it, you would think, right? <laughs> well, no, they're a lot like me. <laughs> they, they're a little slow to learn and slow to catch on. Uh, they're not yet understanding that Jesus' death is essential to the plan of God. Because sin is so heinous and separates us so ultimately from God, God had to work something so ultimate to reverse the effect of sin that separates us from God. And Jesus dying in your place allows you, when you come and lay your sins down, you confess them to God, and you invite God to take your life, to take the thing that separates you from God, the things that that, that uh, keep you from Him, and you, you confess them and give them to Him, He takes them in exchange for that. He gives you His very life. That, that is the gospel of God. In spite of their slowness to learn, in spite of my slowness to learn the disciples uh, in spite of the gloomy last days Jesus had you see there was still hope that shined because did you catch the very last phrase of Jesus in that passage we read he says even after he dies three days later he will rise again you see the hope there Jesus always talks about the hope that is real because of his real life and his resurrection hope shines Because Jesus is raised. You see, Jesus, in this passage, he begins with a gloomy forecast. News that nobody wants to hear. And the disciples, their their focus really is on the gray skies. Jesus talks about his purpose and his followers fall. They focus not on, oh, isn't this great about now we know the big purpose of God. Their, Their focus is so much smaller. Their focus is on their own sense of status and their own sense of of where I'm going to be at the end of things. Uh, They're desperate for positioning and jockeying for position in the face of a chaotic future. In chapter 41, it says, uh, well, here's what happens. James and John step forward to Jesus. They they say, hey, Jesus, we, we want you to do us a favor. Do us a solid, would you? And Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And they said, well, you know, at the end of things, we want, these are James and John, they're two brothers. He said, we want one to sit on your right and the other on your left. These were places of honor. Um, And Jesus says, you guys don't really even know what you're talking about when you're asking of this. And here's what the Bible says in verse 41. When the other ten disciples heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Right? The King James Version says it this way. They began to be much displeased with James and John. <laughs> Do you think? Uh, they were not happy at all that James and John might be so consumed. And why did it make them unhappy? Because I think they too were so focused on this idea of status. When, when the skies were turning gray, all they could see were the gray clouds and not the bigger, brighter purpose of hope that God had. Deep down, they were all consumed with a sense of status. Jesus, you see, Jesus stands as the great contrast to you and me. You see, as he, he comes to serve to the point of giving away his very life, yet so often you and I are focused on social media likes, focused on the acknowledgement of other people, focused on being promoted and, and getting credit Those are things that we tend to focus on, but Jesus as our model helps us know that service is serving all the way to giving away our life. There's a physicist and theologian in England named John Polkinghorne. 
And uh, he describes that when the tectonic plates under the Earth's surface, when they, they shift, in addition to providing some, some tense moments and earthquakes and even tsunamis, things that are really scary and can be quite hurtful and harmful, they also release new life into the ocean and into the atmosphere. Because between the plates, what happens when those, those tectonic plates shift, there's new material that wells up from inside them that replenishes the earth. And there's a healing effect, a cleansing effect that happens when that goes on. And, you know, God invites us, God invites you, and he invites me regularly to examine our life. And to examine the shadows that, that might reside deep within ourselves. Sometimes uh, God's invitation comes, that initiation comes with frightening shifts of global proportions like a health pandemic. That, that can awaken us to examine our life before God. C.S. Lewis describes it like in the moments of pain, it's like there's this megaphone that, that causes our heart to cry out and seek out for some hope. And we look to God. Sometimes we're confronted with this uh, idea to examine ourselves because of the painful reality of inner brokenness, of duplicity that might lie within us, or self-centeredness. Leighton Ford is uh, a Christian man, teacher, scholar, uh, former evangelist, talks about spiritual development in, in these days. Born in Canada, worked with Billy Graham years ago, toured and preached with Billy Graham. Uh, he describes in his memoir a moment where he was with his family. His eldest daughter was in college. His two sons were in moments of transition in their life. And they were vacationing in, in March in the state of Florida on the Atlantic coast of Florida. And there, uh, while they were there, he describes going out uh, one evening, seeing uh, what he describes as, as the gray waves in the water. And uh, it was a moment of real sadness because earlier in the day, his wife had come across something that he had written that really pained her deeply. It surprised her, and it wounded her deeply. And as he walked on the beach um, on those, that ocean shore, he was trying to sort out what was going on deep within him, what was causing this, this rupture in his family's relationship and this relational distancing that was going on in their family life, even in his own marriage. Um, and he was learning that even being socially together, we can be relationally fall apart, uh, far apart. You might even be noticing that during these days of sheltering in place at home uh, with some of the, the ones that you love the most, perhaps with a spouse or a child, your family, um, that, that you can be uh, socially close together, but relationally you can be far apart from one another. Late forward as he goes out, he, he could only muster one word of prayer that kept coming to his mind, and it was this word, love. Love was the only thing that he could pray. And as he woke up the next day, he went to his wife, and uh, out of a desire to love her, he sought out forgiveness and began the process of restoring that relationship, both with, with her and his children, and a deepening began as this deep inward understanding of God's uh, presence in his life and the desire to see God work in him. You see, we can be blinded and focus only on the gray and the gloom that might settle into the world today or settle into an awareness of your inner life, but that's not where God wants you to rest. God 
wants you to notice those things and to pay attention to them, but he wants to call you out of those. He wants to give you a hope and a future. In fact, that is his promise to us. Because even when the skies around our life might seem grayest of all, the sun is still shining, and so it is. That even if you can't locate God, He is still there, and He's still drawing you to Himself to offer you the hope that He has. This chapter finally ends with a little different story in Mark chapter 10. It ends with the story, one of my favorite passages in all the scripture, and it's with a man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is a blind man, and yet even though he is blind, he sees hope beyond the gray skies. You see, the disciples closest to Jesus, even though they had physical eyes, all they could focus on was the gray. All they could focus on was their self-centered sense of status and, and pecking order amongst amongst themselves, not on the bigger thing that God was doing. But Bartimaeus, without physical sight, was able to see the hope beyond the gray skies. In these last verses of Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46, here's what the Bible says. They then came to the city of Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, he was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Isn't it interesting that this blind man Bartimaeus has a better sense of vision than the disciples even after all their years of following Jesus. He was able to see the hope beyond the gray skies. That the sun still shone beyond the gray skies. Bartimaeus focuses on his need for mercy instead of his uh, sense of status. And isn't it interesting that even when Bartimaeus was crying out for Jesus to touch him, the people around him were saying, be quiet. Jesus doesn't need to be disturbed. Jesus doesn't care about your need. But Bartimaeus was undeterred, undeterred by the people around him. I find that so amazing that he cried out all the more that the people who wanted to keep him down, he would not allow them to keep him away from Jesus. He cried out all the more because he knew the one in whom hope was found. Hope for healing, hope for a future, hope for an eternity is found in Jesus. That's what Bartimaeus knew. 
Bartimaeus being a blind man, being a beggar at the city gate, probably his only earthly possession was the very thing that he tossed aside. You see, he was not going to let anything stand in the way of being with Jesus. Not the people who tried to deter him, not anything in his hands. You see, when the disciples, they came and they wanted to clutch hold of their sense of status and importance, Bartimaeus... He was ready to let go of anything that he had, knowing that it was of no value compared to knowing and being with Jesus himself. That is the gift of Bartimaeus, the gift of sight, the gift of seeing beyond the great skies and to see the hope that Jesus brings to the life, to a life. And so today, I want to ask you, dear beloved, is there anything that is holding you back From seeing and walking with and being with Jesus fully and wholly with your life. There may be some watching today who you have wondered about Jesus, but something has prevented you. Maybe it's a spouse or uh, maybe it's the... Uh, someone's opinion of you that you've been more concerned about than giving your life fully and wholeheartedly to Jesus? What has been holding you back? Has there been something in your life that you are clinging on to because it has become a security for you that you're afraid that if you let go of it in order to reach out for Jesus, that somehow that vulnerability will not be met with an openness from God? I want to assure you, brother and sister, That when you let go of the things that you've been holding on to for your security, as you let go of those things so that you can open your hands to Jesus, I want you to know that he reaches back to you out of love. He reaches back to you with a voice that says, come. He reaches back to you with a voice that says, call to this brother or to this sister so that they can come to me and lay down their life with me so that they can have me pick up their life with wholeness and they can know the fullness that comes by walking with Jesus today. I want to invite you to examine the life, your life, not just the events of the world around us. God can use moments like this as the things that have become so certain and usual and normal as they are stripped away from us. It can make us more aware of the inner realities, the inner longings, the inner distances in our life, the inner walls that we have built, the things that we have clung hold of, instead of letting God be God in your life. So I want to invite you in this moment as we prepare to sing our final song together. I want to welcome you to think about, to ask God to examine your inner life. And if there's anything that you've been clinging on to for your security instead of Jesus, would today be the day that you would open your hands and lay that down? If there's someone in your life that has been preventing you, maybe out of their own words or out of your own sense of not wanting to, uh, to somehow come into their disfavor because you let Jesus be first in your life, I want to invite you today to let no one deter you, to keep you, from coming fully and wholeheartedly and joyfully to Jesus. Let the song be a moment to pray to Jesus, to open your life to Him, so that even though the dark clouds might surround you this day, you can know that the sun still shines behind. You know that the hope of Jesus' resurrection will hold you this day 
and carry you into the future God has for you. Let's pray and then we'll sing again. Father, we thank you for this moment, this passage, this reminder that you are the one who is the hope of our life. You are the centerpiece of our lives. And when we are shaken with a lack of hope, God, I have found, at least in my life, for me, that when I lack hope, usually usually I've put something else in the center of my life other than you. I have clung hold of my job for my security. I've clung hold of my uh, stock uh, accounts for my security. I've clung hold of uh, the opinion of other people as my security. I've clung hold of making sure that others like me enough and that becomes my security. I've clung hold to my, my home and that has become my security. I've clung hold to all sorts of other things at times and it is easy to see the hope of my life fade into the, the, the gloom of the, the grace clouds around me. And yet in those moments, in moments like this, I'm invited to to think again, to invite you again, to pray with you again, to pray to you again, and to ask you to remind me that even though the skies may be gray around me, the sun still shines, even if I can't see it. That even though I may be uh, filled with uh, unsettledness, you, Jesus, are the hope for my future. And I say thank you for that today. Reassure my heart today. Help me to stand firmly today that though I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, even if things get even more shaken, I will stand secure because you are my rock. You are my foundation. You are my fortress. You are the God in whom I trust. May it be so for each of us, we pray this day in Jesus name together. Amen.
And now, beloved, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, and may he be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace and his hope this day and always.